The following podcast contains advertising. To access an ad-free version of the Lawfare podcast, become a material supporter of Lawfare at patreon.com lawfare. That's patreon.com lawfare. Also, check out Lawfare's other podcast offerings, Rational Security, Chatter, Lawfare No Bull, and The Aftermath. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. We're not just talking about the end products of farms, we're talking about before as well, because uh, rail, of course, moves coal and fertilizer and and the the parts that we were talking about before. So it's not just that they'll be unable to move the end product, but also those products may not be able to be created. So you're definitely looking at a, at a much larger problem. And again, the Association of American Railroads in responding to this possible railroad strike uh, estimated that the U.S. economy would lose over $2 billion per day in the event of a nationwide shutdown. I'm Benjamin Wittes, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, October 27th, 2022. You probably know Claudia Swain as the social media voice of Lawfare, where she has worked for a couple years as our social media manager. But Claudia, before she came to Lawfare, worked at the Federal Railroad Administration deep in the bureaucracy. She knows a lot about trains And she recently wrote an article for Lawfare called The Emerging Cyber Threat to the American Rail Industry. It's a bit of a chilling read. Trains careening out of control, controlled by Russian hackers. No, actually, it's not really about that. But it is about the threat that the American rail industry faces as a result of, of all things, new computerized safety systems. She joined me in the virtual jungle studio for a fascinating conversation about positive train control, this new computerized system, and the potential cybersecurity threats it poses. It's the Lawfare Podcast, October 27th, Claudia Swain on cybersecurity and trains. So Claudia, I I understand that Uh, For a lot of people, train control doesn't feel a lot like, say, air traffic control, right? The trains are on tracks. We know where they're going. You know, you couldn't have a train swerve and, and hit something that's not on the track. How did the problem of train control become a matter that required elaborate computer systems that are now subject to cybersecurity concerns? So in in terms of comparing it to air traffic control, that is the way that trains have operated for a while. You have a back and central office telling trains where to be and they understand where they are because you have multiple trains on the tracks and most of America is single tracking, which means that only one train can go in either direction, only in really high congestion areas do you have double-sided tracking. So you can compare that to a one-lane road. And that's worked for a long time, and and it does still work, and it's going to continue to work that way. There's just certain areas where either 
there'll be an error on behalf of the dispatcher or an error on behalf of the conductor or engineer about where the train is and what it's supposed to do. And that's why we're adding in computers as a backstop. So trains will continue to operate how they have, but there'll be this computer in the background called the communication system is called positive train control, which in case there is an error in the system that I just described, the computer will jump in and uh, slow or stop the train to keep it from operating unsafely. For those of the listeners who have heard of positive train control, uh, it is probably because of an Amtrak accident that happened, uh, I can't remember when, but there was no positive train control and lots of people were upset that it hadn't happened already. So give us a sense of the history of positive train control in relation to rail safety in the United States. When did when did somebody think that having computers run these things would would increase safety? And what was the level of safety concern that led to the adoption of positive train control? Uh, that's a great example. So you taught you brought up the 2017 Amtrak Cascades derailment in Washington State. Uh, so that was really in the news at the time. And so hopefully listeners have heard of that. And I do just want to latch onto that a second as an example of what positive train control is going to stop. That was a situation where the train was on a curve going over a highway and there was a certain speed restriction in that area. But unfortunately, the operator of that train didn't see it or, or something happened, but the train was going 80 miles an hour around that curve and it should not have been doing that. Uh, it's incorrect to say that there was no positive train control in that situation. Actually, uh, this was 2017. So there was they were in the process of building it. And I, I think the, the tracks themselves had positive train control, but the actual train itself didn't. And so that it was unable to present that accident. But the the government came out with a report saying that PTC would definitely have prevented that accident. In terms of the history of positive train control in this country and where we're coming uh, for for this, in 2008, Congress passed the Rail Safety Improvement Act, which would require the installation of positive train control on most of the United States, almost 140,000 route miles. Uh, so that was meant to be for a certain deadline, but as anybody familiar with government work and with with huge, just massive industries like this, that the first deadline was not met and they kept pushing it back. So it was finally implemented in, again, December 2020. And it's meant to stop, again, dispatcher or operator error resulting in a, in a certain type of, of accident. So this is train-to-train uh, -train collisions, derailments caused by speeding, trains improperly entering work zones, and trains entering an occupied track. It's not the most common type of accident. The most common type of train incident is uh, unfortunately cars or pedestrians being on tracks where they shouldn't be. And this is my PSA, just don't do that. Trains are dangerous. Yeah, those are often intentional, right? Well, there are a lot of suicides by train. Yes, yes, there are. But a lot of them are just people not being not being careful enough. You know, I'm, I'm from a town actually that has a railroad in it. And I'm certainly guilty of as a teenager trying to beat the train so that I don't have to wait for it to pass. Yeah, I spent a lot of time as a kid uh, putting quarters on tracks and seeing no. which, which trains uh, could smush them, which trains went by that were hot enough that would melt them into the tracks. Um, yeah, I, I probably spent 
uh, more time than I should have as a kid playing on railroad tracks. Okay, so positive train control. Do you have any doubt in your mind that it is a good thing for rail safety? That is, you know, despite all of the of the cybersecurity issues that it raises, which we're going to talk about in a moment, that as a trade-off, it's a good trade-off. Like may- maybe, you know, evil Russian hackers have a little bit more power over our trains than we'd like, and those are issues we're going to have to mitigate. But the bigger problem is actually train accidents uh, caused by you know, human error, and these will this will substantially reduce that? Or do you have doubts whether the trade-off is a good one? I am so glad that you asked this question because I've seen a few comments after I got the piece that people are, now they're like very afraid of this. And I actually got a text from a friend showing me that a loved one had told her not to take the train because of my article. And that is not the case. This is a great trade-off. I, I think it's, again, it's an uncommon kind of accident, but it's a very dangerous one. So they did a study between 87 and 97 accidents that could have been prevented with PTC resulted in an annual average of 22 injuries, seven fatalities, 150 people evacuated. And when you're talking about those evacuations, that's because not just from trains, but also from surrounding areas of, of incidents or derailments, because one of the types of, of rail that, that has to have PTC is those tracks over which poisonous and toxic by inhalation hazardous materials are freighted. And so, you know, we do have trains that transport chlorine gas, for example. And there was a derailment in the 90s that uh, involved chlorine da- gas and one person died. So these are these are very uncommon accidents, but they're very dangerous ones. And again, the one in Washington D- uh, State, I think, resulted in three deaths. So for those uh, listeners who, you know, chlorine gas is uh, used for many things, but it is also uh, mustard gas, which is a chemical weapon used uh, to kill lots of people during World War One, And so a derailment with a chlorine gas car is a potential disaster that you should think of as equivalent to a, a, a chemical weapons attack. <laughs> yes. And so this is a great leap forward in uh, rail safety. And it's sort of similar to cars nowadays will have automatic braking if there's like a toddler in front of the car and you don't see it. I mean, can your car be hacked now? I mean, sure. Actually, I don't know a lot about that. Don't cite me on that. But it's the same thing where that's that's a great safety feature. And so I'm glad we have it. All right. So uh, with that as caveat, all you know, positive train control, good thing, going to increase rail safety on average. Uh, Like every safety feature that is computerized, like everything that is computerized and networked, it is subject to potential malicious attack. How afraid should people be of cybersecurity issues associated with PTC? Characterize the risks for us. What's the what, what are the specific concerns and do we have studies and data that evaluate those concerns? Yes, we do. Um, so very briefly, I just want to go over the PTC system. It's three three nodes, three factors. It's a triangle. You have the, the dispatch office. That's the central office. Then you have the locomotive computer. And then you have uh, devices on the tracks or beside the tracks. 
and the locomotive computer is communicating with the wayside devices. You know, how fast is the train going? Where are other trains? Where am I right now? And then it's communicating with the back office. You know, how fast am I supposed to be going here? Am I supposed to stop? Is there a work zone? And the train computer will put all that together and say, okay, am I going too fast right now? And if I am, it'll slow itself down. I, that's very simply, you know, obviously computers don't have agency and their tools, but that's just how I want to put it. In terms of what we have to be concerned about, well, people do want to hack trains. I, you know, maybe if you're just listening to this, you think, I've never hacked a train in my life. I don't want to do that. But people definitely want to hack trains. It's happened before. So who wants to hack trains? Like, is is this a, a like a hobby that people have? Is it a business? Is it a state-sponsored operation? Like, what are the categories of people who are like, there's an Amtrak going, you know, to Susquehanna, let's get it. Then it is all of the above. Um, so in terms of, of what we've already measured in the past, we've had state sponsored actors. We don't well, we don't know who attacked the UK. This was a uh, 2014, I think, or 15 and 16. Somebody attacked the UK, a very sophisticated actor. They never gained control. We don't know who that was, probably a state sponsored actor. Then we have Canada in 2017, an attempted attack from North Korea, you know, who knows what they want. We've had worms. So actually WannaCry, if you remember WannaCry, got Deutsche Bahn in 2017. And then worms also got San Francisco Municipal Railway and CSX. Uh, CSX was in 2003, actually. So that's very early. And, you know, in, in, in that situation, that was a non-targeted attack. It just ended up getting those rail systems. But in those situations, it's, um, you know, they can hold the trains for ransom. Right. So just, and and again, just for clarification purposes, yes, the U.S. Yes. is highly rail dependent for moving cargo, much less so for moving people. But the British, the, the, the Brit rail system and the Deutsche Bahn system in Germany are one of the principal means of intercity transportation. And so, you know, a serious cyber attack on those systems is is a much, much bigger deal than a serious cyber attack on on, say, Amtrak. And I and I definitely want to address um, freight in America because I have a lot to say about that. But getting to your point, you also have politically motivated actors. I mean not just state sponsored, but also non-state. So you had uh, this was, in my mind, the first sort of major targeted attack on a rail system. Uh, in July 2021, a non-state group caused chaos in Iran. They hacked into the display system. So this is not the trains, but the display systems uh, in stations and showed travelers false information. You know, your train's delayed or it's canceled or it doesn't exist. And they flashed a number which supposedly belongs to the uh, Supreme Leader and told them to call it. I mean, I, I hate the Supreme Leader as much as the next guy, but that's low. I mean, put, <laughs> getting people on the wrong trains and stuff, I, you know, uh, figure out a different way. I, I, this is like gazillions of Iranians showing up in the wrong place. That just seems like a very low, classless hack, guys. I, I don't know how he gets around, but he probably does not take the train. So who knows? It's not for me to say. And then, you know, I don't know how you'll feel about this one, but in January and February of this year, a group of Belarusian politically motivated non-state actors uh, successfully disrupted Belarusian rail. Um, so they 
got into the systems of the rail system and, and deleted some systems, encrypted others. They made it impossible to buy tickets. Um, and they were able to stop trains, I think, in three areas by compromising routing and switching devices. And then, okay, and then they claimed, not independently confirmed, but they did claim that they were able to gain control of some trains uh, and slow them down, which, is, which if true, is, is very worrying. And the reason they did that is they didn't agree with uh, Belarus, with the trains going from Russia through Belarus into Ukraine to support the Russian war effort. Right. So I am super sympathetic to the cause there. And I'm very sympathetic to Belarusian train workers who have uh, sabotaged things. I do have a very American attitude toward cyber attacks on critical infrastructure, which is that I, you know, with very, very limited exceptions in combat zones, really don't believe in it. But yeah, that's a morally challenging one. Yes. And and to talk about what would happen in America, you brought this up a little bit earlier. You know, I get a lot of people saying to me like, oh, America has a terrible rail system. And it's like, okay, we don't have passenger system, but we do have the best freight rail in the world. A little bit biased, but I will say that. So if something happens to our rail system, you will notice. I mean, maybe you don't take Amtrak daily, but you'll notice if something happens to the freight system, which, by the way, will have ripple effects. Amtrak may not be able to operate over freight-owned track. It's a whole thing. But I want to tell you about the economy now. Uh, So the railroads that have implemented PCC move over 5 million tons of freight annually, okay? And a, and a large part of that, of the of the trans-border traffic, so we're talking to Mexico and Canada, a large part of that is actually car parts. The Association of American Railroads has written quite a lot about how cars would be largely unavailable in America without trains, which I think is very funny, but also probably true. And you'll definitely notice, you know, everyone's is very concerned right now about the supply chain, you know, oh, the, the shelves are a little bit empty, things are more expensive, that'll definitely happen in a world without freight rail. And we've talked we've talked a lot about this in the context of of the impending uh, freight rail workers strike that has yes. the prospects of which have come and gone, but there is a safety element to it as well, right? I mean if if people cannot move rail cargo uh, efficiently and cheaply and safely, there's a Uh, you know, that's going to raise the price of goods in a substantial way. Yes. Not just the end products, by the way. We're not just talking about the end products of farms. We're talking about before as well, because uh, rail, of course, moves coal and fertilizer and and the, the parts that we were talking about before. So it's not just that they'll be unable to move the end product, but also those products may not be able to be created. So you're definitely looking at them at a much larger problem. And again, the Association of American Railroads in responding to this possible railroad strike uh, estimated that the U.S. economy would lose over $2 billion per day in the event of a nationwide shutdown. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, Lawfare listeners, Ben Wittes here. I want to tell you about the first time I got a report from the folks at Delete Me. It was shortly after I started using the service back in 2022, and they sent me their first privacy report. I have since gotten eight others, and it contained some shocking information. They had removed my data from 56 separate data brokers that this had included 133 separate records, including 621 individual pieces of personal information. Uh, The data broker with the most information about me was a company I'd never heard of called People By Name. And here's the thing. Since then, every couple of months, I've gotten another privacy report from Delete Me, and it always contains more information that they have removed from the data brokers about me. In the second report, they informed me they had removed my stuff from 41 data brokers and that the one with the most information about me was called HLEC. I have no idea what HLEC is. So the other day, I got my latest report and it includes 15 more data brokers with my personal information, 113 pieces of personally identifiable information, Big culprit this time is something called my life. Well, I want to tell you that they don't have my life anymore. And that is why I recommend Delete Me. As this little anecdote shows, there's a lot of my data out there. And these companies keep acquiring it and making it available to anybody who can pay. And I have uh, slept a little bit more easily ever since I found a solution to this problem. And I want to stress, as I do every time, that I started using this before Delete Me started advertising with Lawfare. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays off. And that's the point of this little story, that, you know, they keep coming back. You can get it removed once, but they'll put it back. And then Delete Me comes and takes it off again. It's a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential identity theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports, just like the ones I've been describing, showing what info they found where, where they found it, and what they removed. And critically, as this story reflects, it isn't just a one-time service. It's always working for you, 
constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you don't want on the internet. It does all the hard work of wiping you and your family's personal information off the web. Data brokers hate Delete Me, which is why I like it. Your profile is no longer theirs to sell. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special discount for our listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash lawfare20 and use promo code LAWFARE20 at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20 and enter code LAWFARE20 at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash LAWFARE20, code LAWFARE20. All right, so we've you've surveyed for us the group of actors who like to mess with trains for whatever reason. How secure is positive train control? And, you know, you're much safer under positive train control until the day that a uh, Russian hacker decides to send your train careening at 80 miles an hour around a bend, which is, of course, precisely what the system is designed to prevent. Well, you know, first thing I want to say is, again, we've had it on everywhere it's supposed to be since December 2020. So, so good so far. But of course, that's no reason to think that nothing will ever happen. You know, the principle of cybersecurity is not to prepare for if something will happen, it's to prepare for when something will happen. And I'm a little bit troubled as well. You know, something I just want to bring up since it's not in the piece uh, is October 3rd, Amtrak had a 90-minute downtime for their servers for the for their positive train control very worrying you know i don't know whether we don't know what yet whether that was an attack or if that was maybe they lost powers to their servers which is also concerning uh, and they're not required to publicly report what happened they just have to tell the government but i hope they will be transparent about that to get to how concerned we should be you know i think there there is reason to worry the rail industry has been a mechanical system for centuries, as you brought up at the t- at the top of the podcast, uh, it's been air gapped, which means that it hasn't touched the internet for a while. You know, and they have increasingly digitized. But this is the most fundamental change in rail safety since the 1920s. And so, my first concern is that the industry might have a false sense of security as they as they step forward in this age and. Researchers have definitely found spots where where trains have been very vulnerable. Um, there's been the instances that I've mentioned, but also in you know in the past twenty years, there's been stuff that should not have happened. In two thousand and eight, there was a Polish boy who hacked his la- local tram system with a TV remote and caused four derailments. Now, that's not going to happen today, but historically. This is something we need to be concerned about, apparently, as little Polish boys. It's also why, you know, you should not let your children have the TV remote. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've been warning about this for, for you know, ever. Don't give the kids the TV remote. It causes, you know, too much screen time and train derailments. Okay. Apparently, you've been talking to my parents. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... So let me formulate it as a slightly different way. What do we know about the degree to which PTC systems have been adequately 
penetration tested and to and designed with cybersecurity questions in mind because I, I'm certain that these questions were not you know in the front of mind of people who designed them right oh goodness no it was <laughs> i i have uh, a lot of faith in in the real industry and and the the safety industry as well um i'm pretty familiar with the people who work on rail safety and i they are very concerned with safety and one of the reasons i wrote this article is that People in the rail industry are talking about this, but I didn't see anybody in in just the cybersecurity field talking about it. This, and I wanted I wanted to bring this issue to the wider audience. Um, you know, I think more heads are better than one, and I and I just think that this is such an important issue for national security that I want more people to know about it. So we don't really know at this stage how to, you know, the public literature does not really give us a sense of what PTC system vulnerabilities look like. Or are there have has that question been studied in an outward facing fashion? Information about PTC, a lot of it will be available to the public. You can look in the Federal Registrar for the applications for PTC, which the uh, government approves uh, in a in a public way. You know, a lot of this is is deep in the bureaucracy. You know, I, I am aware of security assessments in the past. 20 years, there was this great security assessment in 2015 of various rail systems in both Europe and America. They didn't say which ones specifically because they didn't want to uh, open those systems up to vulnerabilities, but they were pretty shy. It was pretty shocking what they found in 2015. So lack of authentication protections, the use of hard-coded passwords for remote systems. Something that I was very concerned about is they found in some rail systems, hackers would be able to access locomotive control systems directly from the in-transit entertainment systems in the passenger cabin. So obviously that's an issue if you're watching a movie on the little screen and then you can get to, you can control a locomotive from that screen. That's not good. That doesn't seem good. That's bad, right? Has that been fixed? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So that was 2015. Undoubtedly that's been fixed. So these are, these are kind of older things that we're talking about, but you know, important Important concerns, I think. All right. So from your point of view, what needs to be done today? What like what what are the you know, when you say more eyes on this are better than than one, what is the conversation that you think needs to take place between the cybersecurity community and the rail security community? I okay, I'm so glad that you asked that. I want there to be more pressure on the rail industry in terms of, so if we're talking about the thing that I brought up earlier, Amtrak's PTC system was out for 90 minutes and they're not required to tell the public why that happened and what they're doing to stop that in the future. I would like them to be required to say that. You know, I I would like more people to be aware of this. You know, I'd like more pressure for, you know, one of the problems with the American rail system is it's so vast. We're talking like 140 miles of track, right? Um, and so you can't physically protect every uh, every signal device along the track. So you have to, to do cybersecurity in other ways. You have to make it very strong. And so one of the things as well is the vast work worker system that's supporting this. I think social engineering, you know, making sure that all of the workers are trained, that this is not like, oh, you know, you have to do like a dumb PowerPoint every year. Like I want them to be very concerned about this because if we talk about the times that America has been hacked before, so the CSX in 2003 and the San Francisco 
uh, municipal railway system. Those were those were were worms. So the CSS hack was someone in Jacksonville opened an email with a malicious worm, and it took out like half the trains on the East Coast belonging to CSX. Sorry, that was an exaggeration. You know, and the reason that happened, by the way, is because the computers in Jacksonville were not segmented from the computers controlling all all the tracks and stuff. So, I mean, that's a very important thing. But my and, and there's a few things that I say in the piece as well, but my biggest thing that I want people to, to think about and that I want the public to have some say in is that when you have something that happens to a train or a, a rail system or something else, you know, you have to, when you, when you have the cyber attack, you have to take your system down. You have to take the computers offline. You have to deal with it. If it's something with the hardware, you have to replace all the hardware. And again, it's a massive rail system. So that would take a while. Uh, paper that I really liked that I cited, Bloomfield et al. calculated in, I think, 2016 that the the total death toll would probably be, like, in worst case scenario, would probably be, like, 100 people died. But what they say about that is that, well, you know, 100 people from, like, a one train, maybe a few hundred more if they get a few trains, but then any responsible authority would take the trains offline. We've talked a little bit about how important trains are to the economy and contrary to what Bloomfield et al. was talking about in 2016, having lived through the pandemic and seen, mm, seen decisions that I've not agreed with between human lives and the economy, I would, I would like that decision to be made ahead of time. If something happens, you know, what is the risk that we're willing to accept with, uh, with hacked trains? And, you know, what, what's the the choice between human lives and the wider economy. And I'd like that to make that decision now. And I'd like people to be involved in that. And do you have a sense of what the right answer to that is? I mean, it's the kind of thing that it's a very hard question to answer in the abstract. And if you, you, you know, if you try to answer it in the abstract, you become, the logic becomes very reptilian very quickly. On the other hand, if you answer it in a live theater environment, it becomes very emotional very quickly. So what's the right way in your judgment to think about that? Yeah, that's hard, right? I mean, my my instinct is is just, you know, it's got to be human lives every time, but I do, you know, Things need to be on our supermarket shelves. I, I think this goes back to, I know we had a Lawfare podcast with an author that was talking about planned disasters. And hopefully we can include that in the show notes because it was really interesting. But one of the biggest issues, if I mean, again, if you're talking about the, the recent threatened railroad strike, is that if that had happened, we didn't really have a backup. You, you wouldn't be able to hire enough truck drivers. There weren't enough trucks in the United States that, that could have dealt with that. And that's not saying that I want to replace trains with trucks. Goodness, no, I do not. <laughs> Traffic is bad enough, right? But in the sense that when and, we and have- And trains are way better environmentally. Yeah, yes. Oh, there are so many great things about trains. If the rest of this podcast is how great trains are, that's okay with me. But listen, all these issues that we've had with the supply chain this year, if, if you put a little prep into that, maybe we didn't need to have as many issues as we did. All right. I want to close with a- sense of, you know, what you've described here is a very classic cybersecurity dilemma, which is, you know, so far there haven't been major problems. There have been occasional problems and they're remediable. And so there's an instinct to 
value highly the benefits of the computerized system at the expense of the hypothetical disruption associated with leaving vulnerabilities available. And that is true until the day it's not. And very few industries, uh, the notable exception being the finance industry, which has always invested a huge amount in cybersecurity because the financial consequences of failure are so catastrophic. But very few industries have made the calculation, we need to think about these things in a serious way before we need to think about them in a serious way, before before this, the circumstances require it of us. You have uh, said that you think people are thinking about uh, cybersecurity and, and PTC. What does the next five years look like to you if they've thought about it seriously and dealt with it appropriately versus if they haven't? There are going to be hacks either way. There's going to be you know, your occasional accident either way. How do we know as a public if this is being well handled versus if it's being badly handled? If it's being well handled, you will continue to not hear about PTC and not know what it is. Again, this has been in place since 2020, and most people don't know that it exists, what it is, or what it's doing. So if everything keeps going as planned, that will continue to be the case. You know, I think it's a really interesting technology, but maybe it's better if people don't know about it because that means everything's working. And this would this will be the only podcast ever recorded on PTC and cybersecurity. Very rare, ooh. But if if it doesn't happen, then you know, you'll see you'll see news items like the hack of the colonial pipeline where where suddenly the American public realizes, oh, this this thing was on the internet, as I now find out. And it turns out that was a big problem and, and you have the the ripple effects from that. And which do you think is more likely? Are you confident about PTC staying the province of rail nerds like yourself? Or are you, I mean, you're worried enough to write the article, but are you worried enough? Is your working assumption that we're all going to learn a lot about PTC over the next few years? I don't know if I can answer that with expert advice. I, I do I do think it's eventually going to happen. I don't know whether it happens in the next five years or not, but I also think that that has to do a lot with the wider cyberspace, which again is another reason why I want to bring this to the wider cyberspace, because that would have to do with trends in how ransomware works and also in how cyber war uh, goes in the future. Yeah, I think I think probably we we will hear about it eventually again. We had this 90-minute server error that I wish I could know more about. I I don't think it'll be the worst case scenario. I do want to tell that to people, which is that I, you know, I wrote this piece which is has a lot about death and two billion dollars a day. You know, I don't think we'll get there, but I, I do think we'll have we'll increasingly have minor incidents. But I also feel like that about most industrial control systems. Right. So I want to throw out a, another possible metric and see, get your reaction to it, which is there are these occasional, they're usually worms or viruses or worms or, or you know, some hybrid of the two that attack systems that are, 
usually unpatched and uh, not quite up to date. And they do it pretty indiscriminately. They're not bespoke targeted attacks on rail systems. They're just, let's see who we can get through this uh, this mechanism. You've described the effect of some of those, like WannaCry, on rail systems and on CSX. It seems to me that the impact of such systems on well-maintained cybersecurity, well-maintained systems, the impact of such uh, indiscriminate viruses and worms should be near zero in the sense that if you're regularly patching your software, only the most sort of exquisitely bespoke uh, attacks uh, tend to get through. These are So I I wonder if one of the bellwethers that we can look at is, do we continue to see worms and uh, viruses that are not targeted at rail systems affecting PTC systems, uh, which would be evidence that they are not being well-maintained or curated? On the other hand, if you see a bunch more of these kind of WannaCry-like viruses and, you know, rail is unaffected, that sort of suggests that the cybersecurity people associated with this systems are keeping things up to date, are doing, you know, good hygiene work in general, which should in turn give one confidence that maybe they are doing what is necessary to also repel the Polish children with, uh, <laughs> with uh, TV remotes. What do you think? Yeah, I think so too. Because because a lot of the stuff that I brought up from in my piece from the researchers for the past twenty years has been all of the all of these things that would have stopped the worms that I've talked about. So if they've addressed at least that much, it's it's a much better picture uh, than we've been discussing, and and I I would see that positively. Yes. Another reminder that ninety five percent of cybersecurity is the basics. Two-step verification, don't click on the stuff from the uh, Nigerian princes who really want to give you a lot of money, and uh, think twice before you click on that PDF that is uh, just so enticing. Claudia, thank you so much for joining us. Glad we have your eyes on this subject. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks. The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our audio engineer this episode is the intrepid Kara Schillen of Goat Rodeo. Hey folks, have you rated the Lawfare Podcast yet? I I know there's like some jerk asks you to rate the podcast at the end of every podcast you listen to, but there's like, you know, 70,000 people are going to download and listen to this podcast at some point. And only a few of you have actually rated and reviewed the Lawfare podcast. So I'm going to suggest that you do so. I'm going to suggest that you give us a five-star review that maybe starts like this. Hearing Claudia Swain on cybersecurity and trains changed my life. I'm going to take trains everywhere now, but I'm going to demand that their safety systems be secure, dot, dot, dot. Finish that any way you like. The Lawfare Podcast is edited by Jen Patya Howell. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. And as always, thanks for listening.